Hello, everyone. Welcome to How to Read Chinese Poetry podcast. I'm Zhong Qicai, the program host. In this podcast program, my colleagues and I aim to introduce cutting-edge scholarship on Chinese poetry to a broad general audience. We will present 52 episodes covering the major poetic genres developed over China's long history. Each episode features close reading of one or more of the best-known Chinese poems, with an aim to illuminate their literary greatness and cultural significance. For all the discussed poems, Chinese texts, English translation, romanization, and brief notes are provided at our website, howtoreadchinesepoetry.com. By following the 52 episodes, listener will gain a bird's eye view of the thematic, formal, and generic evolution of Chinese poetry from antiquity to the modern era. Instruct and delight is what we wish to accomplish in each talk. Without further ado, let's begin. Hello, everyone. Today, our guest host, Professor Fang, will present her second episode on Mingqing poetry, entitled "Poetry as Autobiography." Let us welcome Professor Fang. An outstanding development in this period is the practice of writing poetry as autobiography, as the record of a life story. We will discuss the lifelong collection of over 1,000 poems by an 18th-century woman poet, Gan Niro, to illustrate her poetic self-construction. In no other comparable literary tradition was the autobiographical potential so strongly embedded in the orthodox conception of poetry as that in China. The function of poetry to articulate. What was in one's heart and on one's mind, shi yan zhi, private emotion as well as moral ambition, facilitated the development of the poetic medium into a versatile vehicle of self-writing and self-recording for educated men, and increasingly in the later periods, also for women. This lyrical expressiveness was reinforced. By the strong subjectivity in the oral tradition, particularly of songs in the first-person voice, which provided much of the corpus that came to form the first canon of poetry, the Book of Poetry, privileged as a Confucian classic since the Han Dynasty. The autobiographical dimension in Chinese poetry was taken to a sophisticated height early in the literary tradition. By the poet Tao Qian, or Tao Yuanming, and later Du Fu, the training in and practice of Shi poetry, and later Si poetry, can be viewed as discursive regimes that produced certain articulations of individual subjectivity in Imperial China. Even with the customary omission of personal pronouns in the Chinese poetic language. The common assumption among writers and readers of Shi poetry 
of a single unified lyric speaker, the speaker's persona and subjectivity, informing the poetic utterance ensured the development of and persistence of a significant personal and subjective dimension in poetry. It is not surprising that poetry remained for the majority of educated men and women, the most prevalent medium of self-representation. Situated in the present moment of inscription, the poet by articulating emotion or intellection, yan zhi, in response to a wide range of experiences, both actual and textual, constructed and recorded a multifaceted life history with an eye to a community of contemporary and future readers that often included older versions of the author herself. Who would reread and sometimes revise particular poems or parts of poems, especially at the time of publication? The material accumulation of this process of poetic inscription over time was the making of the individual collection of poetry, which could be edited, arranged in order, and molded into a loose and selective form of self-narrative. In the late imperial period, men and women alike exploited this textual means for constructing a self-record that comprised lyrical moments of interior life, situated in or juxtaposed to external, social, occasional events. In this practice, writing poetry functioned in a way similar to keeping a diary or personal journal. When the poems were collected and compiled into a chronologically sequenced whole, the resulting text would embody a form of life history. In poetry collections, the autobiographical narrative frame can be further reinforced by volume and chapter divisions that are named meaningfully according to stages in the self-narrative. I illustrate this autobiographical practice in the exemplary poetry collection of Gan Li Ro, a gentry woman of Fengxin County in present-day Jiangxi province, who lived in the era of peace and prosperity referred to as the High Qing. I discussed the overall organization of her collection in relation to the production of a life history through poetry and read examples of her autobiographical voice in selected poems. Dani Ro's remarkable poetry collection is entitled Yong Xue Lo Gao, Drafts from the Pavilion for Chanting About Snow. As a programmatic and lifelong self-representation by a woman, it epitomizes the many strands of autobiographical practices in late imperial China. Gan Ro's autobiographical collection stands both in contrast with and in complement to the many poetic texts by men and women, whether comparably long or exceedingly short, whether complete or fragmented and unfinished, each attempting to articulate and record some local sense of subjectivity. The collection is remarkable not only for demonstrating the sustained effort in self-writing that Gan Ro made throughout her long life, 
but also for the way she structured the collection to tell her personal history conceived in the chronological frame of the paradigmatic life cycle of a Chinese woman in the imperial era. Ganiro was keenly conscious of the changing roles in her life course, which she recorded conscientiously in her poetry. In a preface she wrote to her collection, when she was 73 years old, Galiro indicated how she had been stringent in selecting poems from a lifetime of writing to form the text through which she wished to be known by posterity. She stated that she had edited out half of her poems. This process of self-selection and censorship was effectively a means to shape her self-representation. Ganiro arranged her poems in four chapters according to the stages of her life. As a young daughter living at home with her parents and siblings, as a loving wife and dutiful daughter-in-law after marriage, as a bereft widow bringing up her children, and finally in old age, as a contented mother living in retirement with a successful son. She named each chapter accordingly, beginning with Xiu Yu Cao, Drafts After Embroidering, which consists of poems from her maidenhood, followed by Kui Yu Cao, Drafts After Cooking, of poems from her married life. Wei Wang Cao, Drafts by the One Who Has Not Died, of poems from her widowhood. And finally, Jiu Yang Cao, Drafts by the One who lives in retirement with her son, of poems written while she lived with her younger son after he had passed the Jin Shi examination and obtained official appointment as a magistrate. Each chapter title is meant to capture the most significant womanly occupation or status for each phase. Embroidery is a young girl's work and training in feminine skills. Food preparation in daily life and on ritual occasions is a duty of a married woman. The widow is the one who has not died after the death of her husband, and living in retirement with one son is a woman's fulfillment in old age. As the autobiographical record of her everyday and emotional life over time, this edited collection of over 1,000 poems bears witness to the vital role that writing played throughout the various stages of one woman's life. The first poem in Ganiro's collection is a pentasyllabic quatrain on the full moon, written at age six. It was a poetic exercise prompted and then probably corrected and improved by her parents and elder siblings, a piece the poet treasured and preserved as the opening poem in her collection. On the Full Moon, written at age six. Who sent Wu Gang's axe, clearly to chop it exactly round? How come not long after it's been full, again a crescent forms where it has waned? The moon, a ubiquitous trope in the poetic tradition, recurs throughout Ganiro's entire collection, 
varying in its many emotional and cultural valences in the context of her life course. Here, in the first preserved effort by Ganiro, a child's curiosity about the waxing and waning of the moon is animated by reference to the legend of the mythical figure Wu Gang cutting away at the 5,000-foot osmanthus tree on the moon. Ganiro's happy childhood and adolescence were soon devastated by a series of successive deaths in the family. First, an elder brother died away from home, then her only sister, followed by her mother, when Ganiro was 18. She wrote many poems mourning the loss of companionship and sisterly intimacy, and of maternal guidance and counsel in her journey through life. Weeping for Elder Sister is a poem inscribed with memories of embroidering and writing poetry together with her sister, two activities young ladies of elite households often performed together. In the clear night, I still remember when we chatted quietly. When you were alive, I feared we would part with little chance to be together. In our inner chambers, how could we know we'd be separated by death? In my heart, I could only pine for your visits home. Sisters linking verses were like the best of friends. I followed my companion. At dawn or dusk, we embroidered together. Now, in front of the mirror, I'm startled to see myself standing alone. Why must I see a pair of swallows fluttering by the curtains? Ganiro had feared only that she and her sister would be separated during their lives by marriage, when they would leave their natal home for their husband's families. This makes the untimely and eternal parting by death all the more poignant. After recalling their companionship as young girls in their inner quarters, the poem ends with the speaker gazing at her image in front of the mirror alone without her sister. The image of paired swallows, conventionally signifying lovers, is used here as a foil for the speaker's loss of her companion, her sister. After the three-year mourning period for her mother, Ganiro was married to Xu Yuelu in a match her parents had made. Uncharacteristically for a young woman, Ganiro composed her own version of Hastening the Bride's Toilet, a celebratory verse usually written by guests as the bride is fetched from her home. Herself the bride about to be fetched, she used this wedding poem to record her experience of this important rite of passage. As she puts on her bridal gown and headdress, she laments that her mother is no longer alive to perform the custom of tying the sash for her. Hastening the Bride's Toilet. Pearl headdress and patterned rope suddenly put on my body. In marrying, I take leave of my family and part from those I love. The way of the daughter comes to an end, that of the wife begins. But there is no mother to tie my sash with her own hands. Hastening the bride's toilet. 
For 10 years, Galiro enjoyed a companionate marriage. She gave birth to two sons and two daughters. She not only was a capable and supportive wife, but also served her parents-in-law in exemplary fashion and kept in touch with her father and younger brother by letters and epistolary poems. When her husband was home, the two of them also composed many linked verse together. The pentasyllabic regulated poem, Night in the Boudoir, one of many such joint efforts by the young couple, demonstrates the romantic and poetic compatibility between them. Night in the Boudoir, jointly written by Ganiro and her husband. Your lovely sentiments transmitted in ink, my good friend excels in poems and songs. Fragrant tunes rise from the zithers, the tinkling gems enhance the jade-like beauty. As the temple bell sounds amid hushed bamboos, the moon's reflection rises late on the curtain. You want to put all your efforts into the vocation of a thousand years, deep in the night, not yet gone to bed. Alternately composing couplets for the same poem, husband and wife shared many conjugal moments and signed their courtesy names, Bai Huang and Wu Yu, respectively, to the couplets they each composed. Her husband initiates the poem by demonstrating his appreciation of his wife's expression of love in skillful poetic composition. Ganiro's first response emphasizes their conjugal harmony and mutual pleasures by using a standard image for husband and wife, the two types of zither, qin and se. The synesthesia of the visual, oral, and olfactory senses in the line, fragrant tunes rise from the zithers, conveys the quality of and harmony in their relationship. While her husband continues in the next couplet to bring out the nocturnal universe that is exclusively theirs, Ganiro ends the poem by reference to the familiar theme of their mutual dedication to his studies for the examination late into the night. This is also the valued time of their being in each other's exclusive company after the children and elders have gone to bed. Tragically, her husband died in his 30s while studying away from home, and Ganiro was left a widow to bring up her small children and care for her mother-in-law. During the three-year mourning period, she wrote many poems grieving for her husband. Many of these poems make explicit the contrast between their happiness in the past and her solitude in the present. Cast in the emotionally expressive Sao style, expressing my feelings, melts the external desolation of a funeral wake with a young widow's passionate grief. Dusk descends, alas, the cold seeps into the flesh. The empty room is desolate, alas, 
I cannot bear my grief. Staring in a haze from the boudoir, alas, I watch for your return. Going out to the courtyard steps, alas, the chilly wind blows. Going back into the hall, alas, I lean on your spirit banner. My orphaned sons and little daughters, alas, weeping, holding onto my rope. I carry them back into the room, alas, in the dim reflection of the lamp. Holding in my grief, I put my face on the pillow, alas, tears stream down. Vaguely, I dream of you, alas, like in the old days. Awakened, I recite, the cock crows, alas, but you don't hear at all the words of dawn. It is dusk, the room is empty, and the young widow is emotionally devastated while keeping wake by her husband's spirit tablet with the small children. Her agitated emotional state is indicated by her movement of going out from the inside to the courtyard and then back again. In the final line, Ganiro alludes to the poem, The Cock Crows, in the Book of Poetry which was interpreted as referring to a virtuous royal consort who woke up the ruler for his court audience when she heard the cock crowing at dawn. The poem has become a standard reference for a virtuous wife who attends to her husband's affairs. The allusion emphasizes that her deceased husband can no longer heed her counsel. Her longing for him can be sought only in dreams. After the travails of a long widowhood, Ganiro was finally vindicated by her younger son's success in passing the highest examination and in obtaining an official position. With all her duties fulfilled, Ganiro felt she had come to terms with herself. Her poems from this period revealed that she had begun to enjoy a leisurely life in old age. Finding pleasure in nature's delights, creativity in practicing the literati arts, and peace in spiritual contemplation. Recited at random. In leisure, I roll out a scroll and open the window. A painting in hand, I face the twilight in the breeze. The world seems small when one takes a broad view. Looking back, one recognizes the mistakes of the past and present. Only when I practice meditation do I realize an undefiled mind. Only when I copy sutras do I know there's a crucial point in the brush. When the myriad sounds quiet down, thoughts become tranquil. The moon moves pure shadows onto the screen. Hosona in Recited at Random expresses a philosophical attitude toward life. One's perspectives change depending on how one looks at phenomena. In the everyday life of old age, Buddhist practices help one to recognize worldly mistakes and purify the mind. Ganiro 
turned to spiritual practice as she grew old. Let us thank Professor Fang for such a stimulating talk. We look forward to her third episode on Mingqing Poetry next Tuesday. I hope you enjoyed the talk. Let's relax and listen to a reading of the poems in Mandarin. 永元月七岁坐谁使无刚府分明消成元如何望未久却处又成贤枯子清宵游弋静谈时生恐群分相聚息挥格哪知有死别心情只管盼来归连狮姊妹同良友随伴朝昏共秀为对镜惊看人独立扑连偏见燕双飞崔庄珠冠相服昼家深出阁辞家别所亲女道告终复道使无奈亲手结离人归叶芳情传汉墨良友善诗词琴瑟明相韵琳琅捧玉姿终生敲竹径月影上莲池欲尽千秋夜深宵未寐时抒怀江玉黄昏夕寒清鸡空房寂寞夕不胜悲以归宁忘夕盼君归初步停阶西凄风吹重入中堂西以临危孤儿幼女西气千衣宝鞋归房西灯影微寒悲拂枕西泪暗垂恍惚梦君兮如兮时景复鸡鸣兮不闻媚淡词偶吟闲披崖轴起窗飞捧卷临风对西灰放眼看来天地小回头任道昨今飞李禅始觉心无垢书叶方知彼有机万籁计时人意静月移清影上平为